So we ended last week where God put Jonah basically in the timeout chair. And I think there's a time in our lives where God needs to put us in a timeout chair, where God need, put Jonah in a place where he needed to do some thinking about his life. I think there's times where we need to do some thinking about our lives as well. When my son Riley uh, was in preschool, he went to a, a preschool and they had a timeout chair. And if you got in trouble, you had to go sit in this timeout chair. Uh, but they didn't call it a timeout chair. They called it the thinking chair. And I absolutely love that. So when a little kid got in trouble, he had to sit in the thinking chair. And so I would pick Riley up from preschool from time to time. And, and we would, our typical conversation would go something like this. I'd say, hey, Riley, you know, how was your day at school today? And he'd say, it was fun. And I'd say, what'd you do? He said, I played basketball and I played football. And I, you know, he'd do all this fun stuff. And, and then I'd say... Did you spend any time in the thinking chair? And sometimes he'd go, yes, I went to the thinking chair. And then I'd always ask, I'd say, well, Riley, what did you think about when you were in the thinking chair? He said, I thought about how I need to keep my hands to myself. <laughs> so that is typically how he got in trouble uh, when he was in preschool. It didn't happen a whole lot, but from time to time, it did happen. But God really puts Jonah in a thinking chair, except it was the belly of a fish, because Jonah needs to do some thinking about his life and the decisions that he's been making. And I think for all of us, sometimes we need a little bit of time in the thinking chair to reflect on what it is that God is teaching and showing us. And so if you missed last week, let me catch up to speed uh, real quick. So Jonah uh, is a prophet of God, and uh, God calls Jonah to go to a place called Nineveh. And uh, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, really for a couple reasons. One, because he's supposed to preach a message of repentance. Uh, and if he goes there and that message is not re well received in Nineveh, he's a goner. I mean, they were experts in, in torture and just anybody that spoke against what they were doing, they tortured them and then they killed them. And so he didn't want that to happen. At the same time, he didn't want to go and have them repent because he didn't like the Ninevites and he wanted God to just destroy them. And so Jonah's in this situation where he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And so instead of what he does is he goes to a port city called Joppa on the Mediterranean Sea and he heads for a place called Tarshish. And Tarshish is about 2,000 miles, 2,500 miles or so to the west. Nineveh is about 500 miles to his east. And so he sets off in the opposite direction. And then God, to get his attention, sends a storm. And the boat is rocked, and eventually the sailors toss Jonah overboard. And here's what we learned last week. And if you missed it, remember this. If you weren't here, I wanted to just drive home what we learned last week. And it's this. Is that we can run from the presence of God. We can try and run from God but we can never run from God's pursuit of us. That God never gives up on us. God is always pursuing us and following us and wanting us to return to him, even when we kind of give him the stiff arm and keep him at arm's length, that he pursues us. And so God continued to pursue Jonah. The sailors tossed him overboard, and this is how chapter 1 ends up. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
And so God put Jonah in the fish to do some thinking, to figure out some things about why he'd been running. And wouldn't you love to know, what did Jonah think about while he was in that fish? He had three days, he had three nights to just kind of contemplate life, to hear from God, to talk to God. What was it that happened in Jonah's head while he was in that fish? Wouldn't you love to know that? Well, here's the great thing, is that Jonah kept essentially a prayer journal, and he wrote down the things that he prayed while he was in the belly of the fish. And so what I want us to do is I just want to hear what he said. I want us to hear what he said. So I'm just going to read this to you. It's not going to be on the screen. Maybe you can even close your eyes. Imagine that you're in the belly of a fish, a huge fish that swallowed you, and you're kind of going, wow, what's going on? And maybe picture the sounds and the smells and the feeling of being inside this large fish. And so that's where Jonah was, and this was his prayer. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shoal I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall, look, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. For salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what Jonah prayed while he was in the belly of the fish. And that was 2,700 years ago. And as I pray that, here's what I want us to understand. Is that as he prayed that prayer, that's what was going on in his head. Because he had run from God. Now, what we need to understand about Jonah is he was not a guy that was, he was not a total rebellion, I hate God, I don't want anything to do with God. He was actually a prophet that is spoken well of in other parts of the Bible. And also, as you look at this, if you were to take this line by line, you would find and understand that Jonah knew God's word. Almost every part of this prayer that he prays is taken from the book of Psalms. But there is this one aspect, this one area of his life where he was running from God. God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm running in the other direction. I believe that God has you here this morning in person in the auditorium for a few of you and that God has you watching or listening online because there's something that God wants you to surrender. 
there's some aspect, some part of your life where you are keeping it from God. You're saying, I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing it my way. I don't want to do it your way, God. And I believe there's something that God has for you because you're listening that he wants you to give up and to surrender to him. You know, it may be in your marriage where you say, I just want to get out of my marriage and you need to surrender to what God says and say, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to stick with the vows that I made at the altar. You know, or it could be that maybe there's a conversation that you just want to run from. You know it's a hard conversation and you're running from that conversation and God is pressing on your heart. You need to go have that conversation. Or maybe God is pressing on your heart about the way that you handle money and that you spend money the way that you want to spend money and a lot of your life is surrendered to God, but this one area, you're like, I'm doing it my way and that God wants you to surrender that part of your life to him. Or maybe there's an addiction that you have in your life, a secret addiction that that nobody else really knows about it. Maybe some people have just a hint of it, but you're hiding it and you're hiding it well but it's messing with your life and that God wants you to surrender that this morning. I believe that God is going to speak to you this morning that you would surrender what it is that he's pressing on your heart. And we look at this prayer of Jonah from the belly of a fish and it's basically a prayer that shows us what does it look like to fully surrender to God. And here's what we're going to talk about as we look at some details of this prayer And this is the bottom line. It's to fully surrender to God. We need to recognize God's character and recognize our need. If I'm to fully surrender to God, if you are to fully surrender to God, it means recognizing God's character. This is who God is, and this is the need. This is the depravity. This is the problems in my life. And we put those two things together, and the result is that we fully surrender to God. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you three truths about God and then a couple truths that are true of Jonah but also true of us. So here's the first truth about God is that God is a pursuer. God is a pursuer. And this really dovetails on what we ended up with last week. It says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It says that God appointed, he said, God appointed this fish. Said, that fish go swallow that guy so he can do some thinking about his running from me. That God appointed that to happen. Look at what he says in his prayer in verse 2. He says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He says, you cast me into the deep. Now, if you were listening last week, or you read it from last week, who was it that cast Jonah into the deep, into the waters? Was it God? Physically, it was actually the sailors. They picked him up, and they tossed him overboard. But yet Jonah refers to that as, you cast me into the deep. That he recognized that it was God who was pursuing him. Even about the ocean, he says, your waves and your billows. It's really, it's the ocean, but he says, the waves and the billows, those are from God because God is doing this thing of pursuing him. And here's the thing is, as we talk about 
the circumstances in our lives, I think a lot of times what we do is we put blame other places. Something happens in our life and we blame God. Or something happens in our life and we blame other people and say, I'm here in this situation and it's his fault or her fault or their fault or God's fault. And we have this blame mentality. But we look at Jonah and he doesn't have a blame mentality. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't blame the sailors. What he does is he recognizes that these circumstances, which have made his life very uncomfortable and very smelly in the middle of a fish, is God's pursuit of him. I was talking to a friend a while back, and, uh, and he was kind of running from God, and then he got in a car accident. And, and instead of kind of blaming the other person or blaming the circumstance or situation, he recognized that this is from God, that he made some mistakes, and that God was using this car accident to get his attention. And as a result, he turned over the things from God that he was kind of keeping, and he's been running after God. And he, and he kind of let me in on that, and we talked about it. And I was just so thrilled because this aspect, this thing that happened where it would be easy to blame somebody else, he said, no, this is from God. This is God's wake-up call to me. And maybe you're in the middle of something right now, and God has given you a wake-up call. You're not in the middle of a fish, but it's your figurative fish, and you're in a tough place. And that is God's wake-up call to you. Here's the second truth about God, is God's way is the best way. God's way is the best way. If you read in verse 8, it says this. Uh, this is Jonah 2.8. It says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So he's saying what happens is that people cling to these worthless idols. They cling to something that doesn't matter. But when you cling to that, you give up or you forfeit God's goodness. You forfeit God's grace in your life because you're preoccupied with this idol. Now, you think about this passage and say, why does Jonah include this in his prayer, that we cling to worthless idols, and when we do that, we forfeit God's grace? Because it wasn't as though Jonah was, you know, he had some rock or stone or piece of wood that he was worshiping inside of the whale or somewhere else or the fish or whatever it was, but it wasn't that. What was his idol? His idol was that he wanted safety. He wanted comfort. He wanted security. And he was holding on to that. And he knew that if he went to Nineveh, he would have to let that go. He would have to put those things in God's hand, his peace, his security, his safety, his significance, his comfort. And he didn't want to let that go. But as a result, he was missing out on the grace that God had for him. And we do the same thing in our lives. Whatever it is that God is putting on your heart that you don't want to surrender, you are holding on to that. That is the idol of your life. Because you're holding on to that. And because you hold on to that, because we hold on to these idols, these things that we don't want to let go of, we forfeit the grace of God that could be ours. We forfeit the good and steadfast love from God that could come our way because we're holding on to this idol. I heard a story a while back um, about uh, a way to catch monkeys in the jungle. 
And the, the way that it said is you, you put a piece of candy in a jar with a very thin opening, and the monkey sticks his hand in there, and then he holds on to the candy, and he won't let go of the candy, and then he gets cha- captured. Even though the captures are coming, he won't let go of it. And so I'm like, is that an old wives' tale, or is that like a real thing? And so I did what everybody does, is you Google it, and I found this video on YouTube, and you can look at this later, don't go there now, but it's definitely worth watching. But I, I, I kind of Googled some keywords about catching monkey jar, that kind of thing. But there's this really funny video of a monkey, um, and he sticks his hand into a, um, what appears to be a termite, like a big termite mound. They're, in Africa, they're huge. They're like 10 feet tall and 8 feet wide. And I think they put a bottle or something in there. But he reaches in there, and he's grabbing whatever he's grabbing, and he can't get it out. And then you see this um, person, like a, a monkey capturer. I'm not sure that's a job. But the monkey capturer is getting closer and closer. He's got this little collar. And the monkey is just jumping around like crazy because he sees this, but he won't let go. And it's just, I mean, the monkey is going absolute berserk because he won't let go of what he's grasping onto. And all he has to do is let go, and then he can run away and continue to be free. But instead, he holds onto it. And then the monkey capturer guy comes over, puts a little collar on him, and he's captured the monkey. He's taken away his freedom. But that is us, that we hold on to these things so tightly, and God says, let it go, let it go, let it go, so you can live in my grace and in my freedom and my love. But we won't let it go. And so we're stuck until we let that go. And that's what Jonah recognized. He goes, I'm holding on to this thing. I just need to let go and surrender it to God and follow God's way. There's one more truth about God that we'll come back to in just a couple minutes. I want us to see some things about Jonah. So in Jonah chapter 2, the beginning of verse 2, he says this. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And then a little bit later in verse 5, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds, or seaweed, were wrapped around my head. So he is in this place. He is in, a little bit later, he says, I'm in the pit, rescued my life from the pit. That he recognized that he is in a bad place. And so if we're going to surrender fully to God, the first part is for our own recognition. Uh, like, the first part is recognize who God is. But then as we look at our own life, it's this. Is I confess how I have run from God. That I confess how I have run from God. And as we do that, I think one of the things that's incredibly helpful is to be as specific as we can about how we have run from God. Instead of of just saying generally, God, I've kind of sinned, I've kind of gone away from you, but I'm coming back, is is to name it, to point to it, to be specific about how it is that we have run from God and how it is that we need to surrender. And you say something like, I have run away from my responsibility as a father. I have not expressed unconditional love to my kids. And so I've made a mess of those relationships and I surrender that to you. Or maybe you'd say something like, I've been looking at images on the internet and it's made a mess of my thought life. And I surrender that to you. 
where you say, you know, I have not been honoring to my husband. I've been comparing my marriage to everybody else's marriage, and it's made a mess of my own marriage by doing that, and I surrender that to you. Or I have made crude jokes, sexual jokes, just to make people laugh and be funny, and it's made a mess of my witness to people who are outside the faith, and I surrender that to you. And, and whatever it is that God is laying on your heart, to confess that to him, but to confess it in a specific sort of way. And then in verse 7, we read this. As Jonah cries out for help, he says this. It says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And so that's the next part of it. The next thing is that, excuse me, is that I cry out to God for help. That I cry out to God for help. And that's what Jonah does. He cries out to God and says, God, I need your help. You know, when you think about Jonah, he cried out to God for help. And he needed to get out of the whale, out of the fish. But here's the thing, is Jonah also needed God's help to go do what he needed to do. Because if you think about it, like, he gets out of the fish, and let's read that. It says this in verse 10. It says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So it vomits him out. I mean, could you imagine if you were on the beach, you're playing, you know, frisbee or pickleball or whatever on the beach, and there's this guy who just gets thrown up on the beach next to you, smelly, covered with seaweed, probably bleached from the acid inside the fish's stomach. It's like, oh, that's nasty. I mean, imagine that. But that's Jonah's thing. But he arrives on the beach, covered in seaweed, smelling like the inside of a fish. He's just prayed to God, God, would you help me? So God spits him, or God spits him out, or the fish spits him out. But he still has to do what he was initially called to do, to go to Nineveh, to preach a gospel of repentance to Nineveh, and to see what happens there with them. As we come before God, as we pray for God to answer us, it's praying that God would get us out of the situation or whatever we're in, but it's also praying that God would give us the courage that we would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he enables or has called us to do. I want to finish with the last truth about God, and it's this. It's that God answers when we cry out to God, when we call out to God, God answers us. The last part of his prayer in verse 9, it says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong with us. It belongs to the Lord. You know, from beginning to end, God has his hand all over Jonah. He calls him, and then he sends the storm. The sailors throw him out. He's swallowed by a fish. He spits him up. God's hand is all over this, and God's hand is all over your life as well, that he wants you to surrender to him. And so this morning as we close, I want to give you an opportunity to surrender to him. And maybe for you, you've never given your life to Christ. 
you've never trusted God for salvation. And so that's your surrender. Say, I'm going to stop trying to work my way to heaven. I'm going to stop trying to be good enough to go to heaven. I place my trust and my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Or maybe for you this morning, surrender is that you've been running from God. You've just kind of been doing your own thing with your life for the last three months or three years. And you're here and you know that this is God tapping you on the shoulder saying, it's time to return to me. It's time to run after me instead of running after all the things in life you've been running after. And for some of you this morning, God is calling you to surrender that area of your life where a lot of your life is fine and following God, but there's that one area that you've been hiding that you have been keeping away from God and to surrender that area of your life to him. And so what I want to do is just give you a moment to do that. Just not three days and three nights, but just a minute or two to reflect and to bring your sin before God and to surrender your life or surrender that area to him, just to give you a little bit of time in your thinking chair. pray that as we surrender these things to you, as we give up the worthless idols in our lives to run hard after you, God, I pray that you would help us, empower us to live that way, Lord, to live with your power and your strength, going with us to face whatever difficult thing it is that you have that we've been running from, but now we're going to face. God, would you empower us to do that? In Jesus' name.